Welcome to the Glasgow Baptist Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Erdie Carter. We want to help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus chapter 5 this morning. 1993, God begins to do something in my heart that I wouldn't understand for a long time. 1993, I'm working for a church member there in Lexington. Uh, we, uh, at that time, I'd stepped away from working for Goodyear and their dealerships. I was working for this church member who uh, put up these party tents. Have you seen these party tents that... Um, from, from the smallest that you'll see out on a backyard or a car dealership to, to one that had over 10,000 square feet in it when it was done. If you've been down to the to Barron uh, Lake when they do the, um, when the, um, the games come in, the Scottish games, the Highland games, I, for, for a number of years we put those up. And the, the big one we put in there was still not our biggest one that had put up. So I was enjoying that job. I had a Christian boss who, who understood Christian values. I, had a, I was a foreman, so I had the privilege every summer to hire people who worked for me. Um, it, as you can tell, that, that, that industry is not a, I don't need, we don't need that many employees year round. And so in the summertime, we'd hire college students or high school students to work with us. And I would, I would get guys from the church, and it would be like a ministry for me to invest in their heart and invest in their life. 1993, I get a phone call from a, a dear friend of mine who works at corporate office in Goodyear and says, hey, we want you to come to work at one of our locations. And I said, no. I said, I enjoy what I'm doing. You know, I, I like what I'm doing. I don't want to go back into another dealer. I've worked for a couple of dealers. I understand that wor- world. That's just not where I want to be. No, no, we want you to come corporate. We want to put you on a fast track and do a few things. I said, well, let me, let, me, let me think about it, and I'll get back with you. I began to pray, God, what, what do you want me to do? Because, you know, I have this great job, this, this opportunity that I see that I'm able to invest in these people. I'm very active in the church that, that, that I was at. For the first time in my life, I can, I can recall Everything is clicking on all cylinders. God's doing, I, I am just loving where God has me. I'm listening. I'm fo- following in obedience to what God wants me to do. And so I am asking, why do I need to do this? And I just remember clearly, distinctly understanding, you need to take this job. So after a couple of weeks, I called the guy back and said, well, if the offer's still available, I'll come to work there in Clarksville, Indiana. And you've heard me tell this story. I, Louisville, as far as I could go, I couldn't go across the river. I couldn't be a hooser. So I had to just live in Louisville. And, and really, you, you got to understand, that was still a stretch for me to live in Louisville. So I, I went to Louisville, got as far as I could outside of Louisville and just drove, drove in. And I went for one reason. God, you want to do something. I didn't take that job with Goodyear because it was an opportunity to advance with a company that I enjoyed, uh, an industry that I had come to learn, uh, 
an industry that I was familiar with and felt like I could succeed with. I didn't take that job for, for the thought that, I, hey, this could be a career builder. I took that job for one reason. God's got something for me to do, and so I need to go and take this job. So I arrived in Louisville and uh, found, found me a place to live. My aunt and uncle were, were there and ended up in a church that would have probably not been the, the church that most people have gone to. It had gone through so many struggles and trials and tribulations, church splits. But God led me to stay there and do some ministry with the students. And so I'm there, I'm, I'm living there, and a month in, I'm going, okay, God, now what? And you know that was the roughest year of my life in, in, in business. Lots of things happened that year. Um, the, the manager that, that I worked for I caught stealing. And because of that, I, went through, I got sent home three days without pay. Uh, other ups and downs happened. Um, difficult relationships, hard business. Lots of things happened that year. And all year long, I kept going, but God, you brought me to this. Why? And there came this moment that I just struggled to no end as to why in the world did you ever bring me here? And there were multiple times that I, I can remember a night that, that I, I had been successful with setting up some, some accounts around the state that they didn't have. And, and I said, I, I need to be at one of them in the morning. And so I went to Lexington, stayed with a friend, and really uh, the next day went and tried to get two jobs. Let me go back to Lexington. You know. And God closed those doors. The places that, places that I had great relationships who, who, when I left, said, hey, listen, if you ever want a job, you, you come back. Couldn't, couldn't, couldn't find a job. It seemed like all of a sudden I was being obedient to what God wanted to do and nothing was going right. It was like the bottom fell out and it was a problem. I was so discouraged. I felt like a failure. I began to wonder why. That's where we're going to be at this morning. Because Moses hears from God. We've looked at that text. We've seen the burning bush. We've, we've wrestled with, with God, I don't want to go. Remember, we, last week we looked at all those reasons. The last two weeks we've looked at all those reasons why Moses doesn't need to be the one who goes to Egypt, but God kept saying, but you are the one. And we even get to the point where Moses says, just send somebody else. And God says, but you're the person. So at that moment, Moses packs up and he goes to Egypt. And he would have thought, I'm, like I would have thought, okay, God, I'm going. So let's get this party started. And let's get it going. This morning, we're going to see that Moses goes and is obedient, and yet failure appears to continue to happen. If you have your copy of God's Word, would you stand as we read, picking up in Exodus chapter 5, at verse 22, reading to chapter 6, verse 5. So Moses went back to the Lord and asked, Lord, why have you caused trouble for this people? 
And why did you ever send me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has caused trouble for his people. And you haven't rescued your people at all. But the Lord replied to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of a strong hand, he will let them go. And because of a strong hand, he will drive them from this land. Then God spoke to Moses, telling him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but I was not known to them by my name, the Lord. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of the Canaan, the land they lived in as aliens. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are forcing to work as slaves. And I have remembered my covenant. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, would you just speak today? Remind us just how in control you really are. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So imagine being Moses. I don't want to go. No, send somebody else. Pick somebody else. Do anything but me. You the person. All right. Well, let's get it on. So I, I'm, I'm just picturing in my own head. Now this this is, this is how Erty works. Now, this may not be you, but I'm expecting, okay, I've seen a burning bush that didn't, blow, that didn't burn up. Pretty, pretty impressed. I've dropped a stick on the ground, and it became a snake, and I ran. Now, I told you last week, if it had been Erty, the text would have said, and he kept on running. But Moses came back and grabbed the snake. We watched all these things play out. And so Moses now goes to Pharaoh, and I'm thinking in my mind, when I do these things, Pharaoh's going to bow down and go, oh, yes, please, please take your people in, and please go do that. And so Moses walks in and does all these things, and it didn't work. Pharaoh wasn't impressed. Pharaoh didn't think anything about it. Pharaoh in fact, the only thing Pharaoh did was he put more pressure on the people. And so we find Moses at this point with God going, okay, I've been obedient, I've done all this, and yet why am I failing at this? Why is this not working? Here's what I want you to catch this morning, this idea. Obedience sometimes appears to look like a failure. However, we can find encouragement in knowing the gospel never fails. I want you to catch that. It sometimes appears to look like a failure. However, we can find encouragement in knowing the gospel never fails. Sometimes for you and for me, our eyesight is not on the gospel, it's on the temporal. And when it's on the temporal, we always come to this place and we think of failure, not God's at work. So I want to share with you four things we find from this text. That when we are discouraged, and I don't know, you may have never ever faced discouragement 
like what I'm talking about today. You may never have felt like God was leading you to do something, and yet it failed, it bombed, it did not go over very well. You may have never left a job to go to a job because that's what God wanted you to do and got there and went, what in the world? God must not have told me that. You may never have done that. But if you have, if you've ever felt like you were walking the life that God wanted you to walk and failure was all around you, let me share four things that we need to do today. First, we've got to refuse our, your old ways. Refuse your old ways. Now, here's, here's what we learn in the text. As Moses is going and trying to tell, tell Pharaoh to let my people go, Pharaoh is looking at him and going, no. I'm not going to do it. And in the background, Pharaoh then goes and tells everybody, says, here's what I want you to do, foreman. I want you to take, and now I want you to make these men's life miserable. Work them harder. Make them get their own straw. Make them go do the things we were doing for them. Let them see how good they have it. When those moments come, when failure exists, we have a tendency to go back to our old ways. You see, Moses had come to Egypt and he talked to the Israelites and told them what he was going to do. And they were all supportive. They were excited. But in the midst of the failure, they turned. Look at what uh, Exodus 5, we didn't read this text, but look what Exodus 5.15 says. So the Israelite foreman went and cried out for help to Pharaoh. Why are you treating your servants this way? In the midst of all this, they, were, they decided that what they had was better than where they were. They returned to their old ways. When life gets difficult, when life looks hard, Do we remain committed or is it just easier to go back? Let's, let's think of it this way. We, we, all, we know, and some of us know better, that food is emotional, right? We are emotional eaters. Can I get an amen? All right, let me say it this way. I'm an emotional eater. When things don't go well, a bag of Cheetos does wonders. You right? When I need counseling, little Debbie or Ben and Jerry are my counselors. You know, we, we get to these moments when you can, you can be working and, and trying and, and trying to eat healthy and make right choices. And when things go well or go bad, what do you do? We go back to our old ways, don't we? I don't care. I'm not supposed to have that. Give me two scoops of ice cream. My wife said the other day, do you realize you ate a whole bag of Cheetos in two days? I said, that's just a small bag. That's a, that's a snack bag. She's like, no, that's a family size bag. They were good. Why is it we go, why do we do that? Because it's comfortable. We know how things were. We know what it once was. And, and may, it may not be right, 
but we at least know how it feels. So in the midst of this turmoil, these foremen go back and they, they refuse to They refuse to keep pressuring, so they go to Pharaoh and say, would you just, why are you treating us this way? Let, we, and, and the essence, we'll come back. But that's not God's plan. See, the second thing we, I want us to catch, as we see in this text, is we've got to return to God. In verses 22 and 23, when we read that text there, we recognize that Moses in the midst of all this, when things are not going well, when the bottom falls out, where does Moses turn? That, that's your question. Where does he turn? To God. Let's do a quiz. When, things, when the bottom fell out before, where did Moses turn? I'll answer that for you. He ran, right? When, when he comes out one day and he's walking around and he sees that Egyptian beating up that, that Israelite, what does he do? He kills him, he hides him, and the next day he comes out and has two conversations. Why are you guys doing this? Why are you acting this? Well, who made you judge? And he realized people knows. What does he do when he tries to rescue the people and it doesn't work out? What does he do? He doesn't turn to God. He runs away. This moment in Moses' life, he's got some maturity on him. He's got some wisdom on him because he knows what God has, has said and what God has done. And so he turns to God and he poses two questions. God, don't you care? Why, why are you causing this people? Why didn't you rescue them? And then he comes back with the same question. Why are you sending me? In the midst of your st stress, do you run to God or do you run elsewhere until you realize you need to run to God? Is God first on your list to run to or is he down your list? I'm going to think about it this way. When you hear good news, who do you run to first? Do you go to God or do you go to others? Likelihood, the two are in the same. Because you want to tell the people that you're closest to the greatest things that happen. So, first time you learned that you were going to be a grandparent, did you, how many people did you tell before you said something to God? And thank God for that. Listen, I'm, I'm not... There's nothing wrong with telling other people. But when our hearts are always in tune with God and seeking God, we quickly know to give God glory for what he's done, right? And so he, if he has sent grandchildren, if he's rescued us, if he's done other, why not go to him first? At the same way, when life is being torn apart, when the bottom is falling out, why not turn to God first? Moses does that, and that's a reminder for you and me. Even in the midst of failure, where do we look? We need to look to God. Why? Because God is in control. Third thing we see in this text is, is God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Now, notice 
when we read these words, we've noticed this before. When, when Moses says to God, hey, don't you care? Aren't you paying attention? God never tells Moses anything. He, he really never answers the question. I mean, God just reminds Moses that he's in control. He reminds Moses that he's, he's got everything under control. God's never, God, God doesn't go and stop Moses and starts explaining, hey Moses, this is, what I, uh, this is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. He just reminds Moses he's in control, that he is sovereign, that there's nothing out of his power. I mean, let's face it, God could have, the moment Moses walked in and said, let my people go, Moses could have, or God could have looked and caused Pharaoh to fall right down and say, absolutely, walk out. Actually, God could have done that before Moses ever walked in. He could have impressed upon Pharaoh's heart and Moses walked in, never say a word, and Pharaoh goes, oh, I'm glad you're here. We're going to let the people go. God could have done a lot of things. But God chose in this moment to help Moses recognize the, his sovereignty. Because if we always get what we want from God when we ask, what's that look like? I mean, how much do we, how much would we really respect God? You go, well, I'd respect him a lot. Well, think about it. Ever seen a spoiled kid? I'm not talking about your grandkids. I'm not talking about your kid. But I'm, you know, we, we've been around those kids who, who get what they want the moment they ask. How grateful are they? Well, we'd be the same way. If every time God, every time we wanted something, we asked God and, and it happened, we, we'd be the same way. We, we wouldn't recognize God's sovereignty. We wouldn't recognize God as holy. We wouldn't recognize God as anything but Santa Claus. God has to, God has a, a plan and a purpose. He is sovereign. In this way, do you think he's teaching Moses a lesson? Well, absolutely. Do you think Moses is going to understand patience? Sure. Because if Moses was anything like me, when I walked in dropped that snake, I would have been smiling from ear to ear going, <laughs> you going to let him go now? Thinking, I got him. And he didn't. Patience. You think Moses would need patience when he leads the people out of Egypt? He needs a whole lot more than patience, but, he, but God's teaching him, isn't he? See, God has a plan and a purpose, and it's to, to reveal those things over and over to us. Everything he's doing, he does for a reason to teach us. The people of Israel will see how great God really is through this process. 
they'll understand what real worship is because they'll understand how sovereign he is as time goes on. Fourth thing we see in this text is we recall God's covenant. We recall God's covenant. These last two things have not been anything that Moses didn't understand but, or hadn't heard before. God continues to remind him of his covenant, the covenant he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, in fact, if you if you've followed along through the book of Exodus, you know this is the third, maybe fourth time we've, we've talked about, about God's sovereignty, that God has reminded Moses that he is sovereign, and about his covenant relationship. It is important for Moses to get this. It's important for you and I to understand God's covenant love relationship with us. In fact, the things that we need most have already been told to us through Scripture. We just have to be reminded over and over and over that God is in control, that God has a plan, that God has a purpose, that God loves us, that God has prepared a place for us. Over and over, we need to be reminded of that. Why? Because we're so quick to run back to our old ways. For you and I, the covenant relationship that we've got to remember is the gospel. That God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's a gospel that needs to be reminded to us every day. That when sin crouches at our door, that the gospel is greater than the sin that we're facing. And that our trust should be in the gospel. That when we're faced with pandemics, when we're faced with troubles at homes, when our marriages are falling apart, the gospel needs to be the center of our focus because it will see us through whatever we face. And Moses needs to be reminded of that, that he's not a failure at this moment. He's just living in obedience, and obedience means that there are difficult days, but the gospel always wins. And for you and I, we have to remember that. That when life throws us curveballs, when things don't go well, when a child rebels, when we lose our job, when, when life comes crashing down on us, the gospel hasn't changed. The gospel is the same. The same God that loved you in the good days, loves you at the moment, and he is walking with you through that. So in the midst of this, Moses is asking questions. Why, God? Why have you forgotten us? Why haven't you rescued us? When the question should be, or the statement should be, God, you're going to do something great because of your covenant, because you've told me you love this, because you've told me. I can't wait to see how this works out. But instead, Moses turns, woe is me. Why, why have you sent me? I've said this before. I think believers I 
As believers, why wouldn't we expect bad things to happen to us? I mean, let's be honest. Why wouldn't we expect it? Why wouldn't we expect cancer to come upon us? Why wouldn't we expect bad days? Why wouldn't we expect turbulation? Why wouldn't we expect these things? Because here's the thing. Of all people who can handle that, believers can handle that, right? We should be able to handle it better than anybody else in the world because we have the gospel. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whereas a lost person dealing with every bit of that has nothing but hell waiting for them. How else do they deal with it? How else does a lost person deal with cancer? How, well, how else does a lost person deal with death? How else does a lost person deal with the troubles in their life? We have the gospel, the assurance that we are not alone, that Jesus is walking with us, that he is greater than anything we are facing, and that he is guiding us. So why wouldn't we expect to live that life? And when it does, why don't we give it all to glory to God? Moses appeared to be a failure, but he wasn't. 1995, I thought, why in the world, God, did you call me to leave what I had and come to this mess? Caught my boss stealing, was sent home three days. I thought, well, I've just lost my job. Come to find out, we had a million-dollar salesman at that location. For those of you who don't know that, there's not very many million-dollar salesmen at, at these locations. I mean, it's not like they're at every truck center. We had one. Three days later, I'm sitting in a, in a, in a food booth there in in Louisville, some a restaurant, uh, with the same guy who called me and said, hey, we want you to come to work at corporate. I'd read his letter of recommendation. I'd read his boss's on up the ladder recommendation for me to come to work there. He comes and meets with me in Louisville, has lunch with me, and says, hey, you, you can't quit. Well, I hadn't planned on it. I need a job. He says, well, let me tell you what's happened. He said, you don't know this, but Next morning, Donnie came in to work, and Donnie was a million-dollar salesman, and, and I'd done a lot of work. Donnie had kind of, I, I give a lot of credit to Donnie for, uh, one of these days I need to track him down and give him credit. But uh, I give a lot of credit to Donnie for teaching me some, some business things. Donnie would say, you never ask a question you don't already know the answer to. You do some background work before you do some of these things. And so... Donnie came in, done his digging, looking, found out that I wasn't coming back, that I'd been sent home, and like I said, I took care of a lot of Donnie's clients. Donnie walked into our boss's office, and when you're a million-dollar salesman, you can do this. He walks into the boss's office and picks up, and has a conversation with the boss about sending me home. The boss said, that's right, I've sent him home, I'm not sure he's coming back. Donnie said, okay. Picks up the phone off the desk, dials his boss in Akron, Ohio. Says, Rick, uh, or Rich, he said, uh, I know you know Ernie's not here. I know you know the situation. I'm not getting in the vault middle of it, but if Ernie leaves, I'm leaving with him. If he quits, I'm quitting with him. You decide what you want. Hangs up the phone. That afternoon is when I got my phone call to have lunch. <laughs> but you know, God was doing something else there. 
I had come looking for God to do some, well, God, what do you want me to be involved in? In fact, chance, I went to the Kentucky Baptist Home for Children and said, I'll volunteer. You don't need to pay. I'll do. The door kept closing. A year later, I walk out of a place, or it's longer than a year, but God began to do a work in me there. He changed my heart in a lot of ways for the way he needed me to lead the church. I had a, had a um, service manager who, who was a problem. Uh, we, we butted heads more than once. I'm early 20s and he's past retirement. You know, he's just there because he wants to be. God taught me how to work through that relationship. When I left, he hugged me and said, you preach your first sermon, I want to be sitting there in the pew. I said, I preach my first sermon, it'll be about you. <laughs> he laughed. You see, I looked at that year as a, a year of failure. God looked at it as a year of preparing me. The gospel never never changed. It never went away. The gospel was right there. I just took my eyes off of it and tried to turn in a different direction. This morning, where are your eyes? Are, are you seeing that God is at work in your life? I mean, you realize you're not where you are by accident. God's been working in your heart and your life for a long time. He's put people around you that he needs you to share the gospel with. The last person I ever thought I'd share the gospel with was that service manager. Russ was a hard person, set in his ways. As we began talking about the gospel, he began remembering a day in which he used to be active in the body of Christ, when God began to work in his life. Sometimes we need to turn back to God. Maybe you're here today and, and you've got a relationship with God, but you've been like Moses in, that in the midst of things falling apart. Rather than running to God, you've run away from God. And so today you need to rededicate your life. Maybe you're here today and, and you need to, or watching us by television, you, you need to make another decision. You need to be ready to say, I'll serve. I will do what you want me to do, God. I'm, I'm willing and able. I have talents and gifts. How can I be used? Maybe today you need to surrender your life to, to Jesus. Turning your life over. Admitting you are a sinner, believing that Jesus is God's son who went to the cross for you, confessing your sins. Maybe today it's 
You need to join this body of faith so that you can be a part of what God's doing. This morning, will you do that? Will you make a decision, whether it's, whether it's to join this family of faith, whether it's to rededicate your life, to give your life for the first time, or would you just say, I will serve? Would you do that? Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Today, I want to ask you to, sometime today, to, to call or text that number, 270-681-2363. It's a number that comes right to me. Would you text and say, I will? All you have to do is, I will, or call and say, I will. I'll get back with you. We'll return a call. We We will walk you through whatever it is that you're dealing with. Whether it's a rededication, to come to know Christ, to serve the body or to join the body, would you just respond by saying, I will? Let's stand together today.